You're listening to So You Want to Be a Writer, the podcast about the world of writing and publishing. My name's Valerie Koo and I'm your co-host and I'm CEO of the Australian Writers' Centre, where you'll find writing courses and a wonderfully supportive writing community. I usually co-host this podcast every week with my partner in crime, Alison Tate, also known as A.L. Tate. Her latest book is The Firestar, a Maven and Reeve mystery. But I'm flying solo in this in-between episode, which we're releasing for you as a story session, just you, me, and our guest author of the week. Alison and I will be back together in the next episode. In the meantime, I'll help you keep your week full of writing and reading goodness with these story sessions. Each episode, well, each story session, you'll hear the first chapter of a book that we recommend, usually read by the author, so you get to hear it exactly as they intended. Listening to the first chapter like this lets you sample something new while you're walking the dog or going to the park or waiting to pick the kids up from soccer or buying banoffee pie which is a lot closer to me now that I've moved. I used to be about 10 or 15 minutes away. Now I'm two minutes away from Bonoffi. Anyway, we're making it easy for you to discover new authors by bringing the bookshop straight to your ears and you don't even have to leave home. This week, I've chosen You Had It Coming by B.M. Carroll. This is another exciting thriller from the pen of B.M. Carroll, who also writes as Burr Carroll, and we've had her on the podcast before. It's a tense psychological drama that will hook you in right from the dramatic opening scene until the final pages. So here's the blurb from the book so you can get an idea of what it's about. Would you save the man who destroyed your life? When paramedic Megan Lowe is called to the scene of an attempted murder, all she can do is try to save the victim. But as the man is lifted onto a stretcher, she realises she knows him. She despises him. Why should she save his life when he destroyed hers? Jess Foster is on her way home when she receives a text from Megan. Once best friends, the two women haven't been close for years, not since the night when they were just the teenage girls whom no one believed, whose reputations were ruined. All Jess can think is, you had it coming. Now, Megan and Jess are at the centre of a murder investigation, but what secrets are they hiding? Can they trust one another? And who really is the victim? Now, I spoke to Burr in a previous episode, episode 260, where I interviewed her on So You Want to Be a Writer, when she had just published her first book as B.M. Carroll. That novel, The Missing Pieces of Sophie McCarthy, was different to what she had previously written with a lot more suspense and intrigue. And again, in this novel, Burr has tackled something new with more of a police procedural style. Before she reads her first chapter... You'll hear Burr talk about her writing process and how this is her first time writing in this style. It's fascinating to see how authors change and adapt along their career. So here is B.M. Carroll, also known as Burr Carroll, reading the first chapter of her novel, You Had It Coming. Hi, I'm B.M. Carroll and I'm the author of You Had It Coming. Valerie asked me to record the answers to some questions before I narrate the first chapter. So here goes. What inspired me to write this story? The first spark for this novel goes back almost 20 years, when I was researching another book. 
a criminal lawyer was helping me with my research. And the lawyer was a very accomplished woman, very dedicated and extremely tolerant of my naive questions. She was also at the time representing a woman who had stabbed her estranged husband to death on the Sydney freeway during morning peak hour traffic. It was a horrific crime, deeply shocking for witnesses, responding emergency services and the general public. I couldn't help deviating from my research to ask the lawyer, why on earth would you want to defend this case? And what defence can there possibly be? The lawyer's answer was along these lines, because what happened on the freeway is only one part of the story, and because everyone, no matter how terrible the crime, is entitled to a thorough, high-quality defence. Another factor that inspired the writing of this story is the fact that as well as being an author, I'm the mother to two teenage children, a girl and a boy. As their social lives have blossomed, I've dropped them to various house parties and spent the next few hours in a state of pure dread until it's time to pick them up again. A few years ago, we had a house party of our own, and that was an eye-opener on a completely different level. Despite very careful planning and close supervision, the night ended with an ambulance being called. The party not only aged me 10 years overnight, it also gave me perspective on the vulnerability of teens and how one mistake can have lifelong consequences. So these are the two concepts underpinning the writing of You Had It Coming. In the first chapter, a man is shot outside his home. The man's name is William Newson, and he's a defense barrister who has built his reputation on defending sexual assault cases. And one of those cases happened at a teenage party 12 years ago. Can I describe my writing process? My writing process is a bit random, if I'm honest. I'm not a planner, and as soon as I try to plan anything, I get deeply, deeply bored and all my ideas dry up. So I generally start off with a premise and I just see what happens. In my experience, writing a novel is as much about thinking as it is about writing, and so I make sure I leave lots of time and brain space for thinking. I take my dog for a walk each morning, and as we walk and stop and sniff about a thousand times over, I'm all over the novel I'm writing, what the problems are, and what might happen next. And then I come home, and I sit at my laptop, and I write whatever comes into my head. And sometimes it's what I've thought about on my walk, and sometimes it's not. And obviously, writing in this haphazard manner requires a lot of editing, and once I've figured out where the story is actually going. But it really does work for me, and the story always seems to go unexpected places as a result. What was the most challenging aspect of writing this book? Well, to be perfectly honest, there were lots of challenging aspects with this book. Um, top of the list is the subject of consent, and particularly teenage consent. I couldn't have predicted the events that preceded the publication of You Had a Coming, with Chanel conscious receiving an overwhelming response when she called on people to come forward with allegations of sexual assault while still of school-going age. Chanel was wanting to reinforce a petition urging schools to teach consent much earlier. Whereas I was delving into all my concerns as the mother of a son and a daughter and the need to protect them both. I also wanted to portray that it's not only about the boy and the girl, or the boy and the boy and the girl and the girl, or whatever parties are involved. Um, driving this story are the lawyers and what was said in court and what was not said in court, and also the families of the perpetrators and the victims and their enduring anger. What was the more, most rewarding aspect of writing this book? The most rewarding aspect of You Had It Coming was writing the character of Bridget Kennedy. 
Bridget is the detective investigating the shooting, and she was initially meant to be a secondary character, but she sort of bullied me into giving her a voice. And I've never written a police procedural before, so writing from a detective's perspective was really, really difficult. Um, Bridget, as well as being a detective, is the mother of teenage children, a boy and a girl just like me. So I was able to pour myself into that aspect of her character. Early feedback is that Bridget has really resonated with readers. She's different to the usual hard-drinking, chip-on-the-shoulder type of detectives that we read about in crime novels. So um, that's very rewarding to know that um, readers like her. What are my top three tips for aspiring writers? My first tip is to read, read, read. Um, it's amazing what you absorb about technique, structure, and characterization just by reading. I'll go as far as saying that reading widely is better than any masterclass. My next tip is not to be overly critical of yourself. If we all listened to our inner critic, we wouldn't write a single word. There's plenty of time to listen to your inner critic during the editing phase, but don't let it stop you from writing in the first place. And my third piece of advice is to concentrate on the art of writing and don't get distracted by dreams of worldwide success. Um, Enjoy the writing experience, be committed and hardworking, be brave, be humble and open to feedback. Um, but learning your craft always comes before success. Now I'm going to narrate the first chapter of my book, You Had It Coming. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, Megan Lowe has failed at various junctures during the police investigation and the course of this trial to tell the full story. She has left things out important details that reflect badly on her decision-making, her actions, her reputation, and ultimately, her credibility. 1. Megan The radio crackles just after 7.30pm, a half hour before their shift is due to finish. The streets are quiet, deceptively benign. Megan is enjoying the pleasure of driving for once. Not having to race against time or worry about taking a wrong turn or curse other drivers for holding them up. Lucas is smirking beside her. You have to give it to the old fellas. They know how to turn on the charm. The old man they've just dropped off to Royal North Shore Hospital said she was just his type, and if he were 40 years younger and not married to his beautiful wife, he'd take her out to dinner. Lucas played along while he took the man's temperature and blood pressure. So what's your type, Barry? Dark eyes with a bit of mystery to them, and a nice smile. Keep smiling, love. Lucas is right. The old men tend to turn on the charm. Bravado to disguise their vulnerability and fear. I couldn't help noticing that his wife had blue eyes. Lucas is still laughing. They're stopped at an intersection on the Pacific Highway. Megan is thinking about the cup of tea she'll have back at base before signing off for the night. Her thoughts fast forward to tomorrow, her mum's birthday, which should be a joyous occasion but won't reach the bar. Megan has taken the day off work and they're going out for a fancy lunch. Because if you don't manage to make an effort for birthdays, you might as well give up. Car 482 intrudes a scratchy voice on the radio. Category 1B in Kalara, a shooting. Details coming through. Megan glances at Lucas, seeing her own anxiety and adrenaline mirrored on his face. ICP on the way, she checks. An intensive care paramedic is usually dispatched as well as an ambulance if the situation is high acuity. ICP is on another job. Oh God. 
Male, 50s, several gunshot wounds to the chest and abdomen. Lucas reads from the mobile data terminal while Megan turns on lights and sirens and executes a U-turn at the intersection. They're five minutes away, according to the MDT. Non-responsive and bleeding heavily, Lucas continues intermittently glancing up to help navigate. Assumes substantial internal damage. Only the one patient? Is the scene secure? Megan's heart pounds just from the thought of what they're about to walk into. Shooter is believed to have driven away, police attached and in transit, neighbour giving assistance. Watch out for the P-plater Megs. The P-plater changes lane at the last minute and the road ahead is clear. Megan accelerates, two minutes away. Sydney doesn't have much gun crime. This will make the nine o'clock news. Lucas exhales audibly. He has four years experience to her six. Car accidents, house fires, domestic violence, heart attacks. They've dealt with everything except this. Megan scrambles to assimilate what she knows in theory, if not in practice. Thorough visual inspection, it can be easy to overlook wounds if there are multiple entry and exit points. Possible tissue damage to lungs, liver, spleen. Possible rupture of heart, bladder or bowel. Shattered bones can become secondary missiles. No more time for theory. They're here. This is real. A squad car has pulled in ahead of them. Just need to make sure it's safe. One of the officers says through the open window, sit tight till I give you the nod. A short and bearable wait until they're given permission to enter the scene. The victim is laid out at the entrance of a driveway, a wheelie bin close by. The side of the bin, something so innocuous and routine, brings a lump to Megan's throat. In this job, she's become desensitized to many things. But seeing catastrophe juxtaposed with the ordinary gets her every time. A resuscitation on a kitchen floor inhaling the smell of roast dinner. A dead on arrival motor vehicle accidents. Pop music playing obliviously on the radio. Tuesday night, bin night. Two people, a man and woman, are assisting the victim, trying to stem the flow of blood using jumpers and jackets. Several others are huddled in a group nearby. What's his name? Megan asks, kneeling down on the cold, rough concrete of the driveway. The injured man is wearing a dark suit and what was once a white shirt. Someone had the presence of mind to turn him on his side to manage his airway. A quick glance establishes that his colour is bad, pale and grey, and his breathing is shallow. She knows, even before she checks his pulse, that it will be barely there. We don't know, the woman replies in a quivery voice. I'm Megan and this is Lucas. What are your names? The train to do this, exchanging names, establishes an immediate connection and fast-tracks the flow of information. I'm Sarah. I live in the apartment block across the street. I was putting out my bins too. Darren, the male adds. I was parking my car, heard two loud bangs and a motorbike roaring away. Megan cuts open the man's clothes to assess his wounds. One entry point in the right-hand side of the chest and one in the abdomen. Two exit points in his back. Blood clotted on the skin and clothing distension of the abdomen. When did he become unresponsive? After a couple of minutes, Sarah says. He was moaning and muttering, then he just faded away. Lucas packs the abdominal wound with hemostatic dressing in an attempt to arrest the bleeding. Megan checks the head, feeling for skull deformities with her fingers. Appearance and alignment of the trachea and jugular veins seem okay. Next priority is oxygen. A second squad car arrives. Two male local area detectives. Megan supplies them with a brief update. External and internal hemorrhaging. Need to get his blood pressure up before he goes into irreversible shock. 
The fact that he's already unconscious is a sign that he's lost huge amounts of blood. Megan and Lucas work quickly, issuing abrupt instructions to each other. Here's a vein. The IV has Hartman's solution, a temporary fixant to these blood type is cross-matched at the hospital. Keep applying pressure. Extensive bandaging, trying to stem further loss of blood. Probably futile considering the extent of internal bleeding. Blanket. Keep him warm. This man's life is in the balance. Time is of the essence, yet they can't cut corners. If he dies, and that seems likely, their actions will be analysed to the very last detail. His blood pressure is improving as a result of the crystalloid fluids. A small window of time, another deterioration is likely en route to the hospital. Load and go. Lucas hurries to get the stretcher. One, two, three. The patient is on and they're mobile, the stretcher bumping over the stenciled concrete of the driveway. I hate it when we don't know their name, Lucas says. Megan knows what he means. It's hard to reach the patient if you don't have a name to use as an anchor. But she's only half listening. In her head, she's planning the quickest route to the hospital. She'll call ahead as soon as she gets behind the wheel, warn them of myriad internal injuries and the need to have the right resources standing by for immediate surgery. The rear doors of the ambulance are open, bright lights spilling out. The stretcher is ready on the hydraulic lift, and it's only then... In those few seconds as the stretcher is rising and the patient is fully illuminated, Megan realizes that she knows his face. She knows it from a different world, a different life. This face has haunted her, belittled her, broken her. Those thin lips, the hateful words they spat out. Lies, terrible lies. Behind those eyelids are eyes that are pale blue, cold and contemptuous. She checked this man's body from head to toe, trying to envisage the bullet's trajectory through his tissue, bones and internal organs, all without properly looking at his face. His hair has whitened. His skin is the colour of death. The poor lighting on the driveway. These are the reasons she failed to recognise him. And she never imagined she'd see him again. Her conscience wrestles with her deep hatred. The reinvented Megan wrestles with the old, devastated one. This man doesn't deserve comfort. He doesn't deserve Lucas's murmured reassurances, trying to reel him back to consciousness. His name is William Newson, she blurts out, against all her instincts. Then she shuts the doors on Lucas's questioning face. What a tense beginning. And if you're dying to find out what happens next, You Had It Coming by B. N. Carroll is published by Serpent's Tale and is out now. I know that this is going to be another hit for Burr. Would you like to write your own thriller one day? At the Australian Writers' Centre, we actually have a course just for crime and thriller writers called Crime and Thriller Writing. (laughs) Published author Shankari Chandran did the course and it kick-started her writing career. Hear what she has to say. When I first decided to do a course at the AWC, I had been writing for a few years I had taken time out of my career as a lawyer to have our fourth child and life was chaotic but I had always wanted to write and so I thought I would give it a go in between baby feeds and school runs and so on. I have just published The Barrier with Pan Macmillan Australia and I'm loving it. For many years being published felt like an impossible dream, like something that happened to other people. When I heard that I was going to be published. I was at Officeworks because I find buying stationery really therapeutic and I put down my stationery and cried. 
The AWC's course has had a huge impact on my writing. It's changed my understanding of the thriller genre and my approach to writing it. Because of the clarity the course gave me, I feel far more confident doing it. I feel incredibly fortunate that my books have been published now. I love writing. It's energizing and meditative for me. I feel really committed to the stories I'm telling and I hope to keep doing it. Look, I would absolutely recommend the courses at the AWC uh, to friends, aspiring authors, anyone. I would say do a course, do lots of courses, and do them earlier rather than later on your writing path. It's worth it. To find out more, go to writerscentre.com.au slash crime. Thanks for listening to Story Sessions of So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find more details about the podcast and a wealth of writing resources and courses at writerscentre.com.au. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre. Do connect with us on social media, on Twitter and Instagram at writerscentreau, and, of course, connect with us personally in our free podcast listener community on Facebook. Just search for So You Want to Be a Writer podcast community and request to join.